I uh, heard a story about a Sunday school teacher who uh, was teaching her students a lesson on the all-powerful nature of God, that God is, he, he is all-powerful, and, and kind of diving into what that means. And so at the end of the lesson, after she taught the lesson, she said, is there anything God can't do? And no one said a word. And so the teacher's kind of disappointed that maybe they haven't, you know, maybe they haven't gotten the lesson and uh, they've missed the point of what she's trying to teach them. Finally, one little boy held up his hand and the teacher smiled and she called on him and she said, well, what is it that you think God can't do? And the boy replied, well, he can't please everybody. And that is the reality, right? Uh, and I feel that as we're going through this sermon series. We're in a series called The Gift of the Holy Spirit. And Speaking of not being able to please everybody, I am not going to be able to please everybody throughout this series. And I've gotten some comments. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback so far. Uh, but I know that there's a reality where I'm probably not going to please everybody in the sense that there's probably going to be something that I don't cover in this series that you wish I would cover. Okay, that's just the reality. And I apologize for that, but there's really not a whole lot I can do because if I were to preach on the Holy Spirit every single week until Jesus returned, whenever that may be, or you know, if I die or you die or Jesus returns, we still wouldn't exhaust everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. And who are we to fathom completely God? We're never going to know everything there is to know about God. But here's what I do know. I know the best place to start is with Jesus and what he taught about the Holy Spirit because I believe, I don't know how you feel, but I believe that Jesus is the expert on pretty much any topic that is worth knowing about, especially when it comes to God. And so we're starting each lesson by looking at some of Jesus' words in John chapter 14 verses, or John chapter 14 through 16. And I would encourage you, as I've done the last couple of weeks, to read those chapters in preparation for our lesson uh, on, on Sunday mornings. Uh, even during the week, it's a good you know, reading plan. It's a beautiful passage, a lot of good stuff in there, and I would encourage you to read that. If you don't have a Bible reading, you know, plan already, if you're not in the Word, hey, if you're not reading every day, start. Uh, and if you are, awesome. But this is also a good place to, uh, to uh, supplement your reading as well. Uh, but we're starting with Jesus's words, specifically in John chapter 14 through 16, because whatever Jesus said about the Holy Spirit is a pretty good place to start. Because Jesus believed that the Holy Spirit was the best gift ever. And one of the reasons he had that conviction is because he knew of the Holy Spirit's gift of conviction. So here's what he says in John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. And so for the rest of our time, I kind of want to unpack that idea, and especially as we start off to word, uh, unpack that word prove. Your translation might say convince, it might say convict, it might say expose. The word literally means to cause to see or to shed light on something that previously had been in darkness. And all of us who follow Jesus have experienced the convicting work of the Holy Spirit at one point or another, where we've done something or we've thought something that was inconsistent with the heart of God, and the Holy Spirit began to convict us. It wasn't a spirit of condemnation, but it was a spirit of 
conviction, as he shed light on some area in our life where darkness was reigning. And so we understand this. And, and we probably say, yeah, I looked back on those times. It didn't feel very good. Guess what? It's not supposed to feel good. It's not supposed to feel good. It's never feels good when you're convicted of something that you are doing wrong. But it is good when we feel bad about sin. That is a good thing when we feel bad about sin, especially starting with our own. And it's really good when you have stayed in enough fellowship with the Holy Spirit that you can hear his voice when he does convict you. And so all of us as Christians, we know that the Holy Spirit, even though he's often called the comforter, the great comforter, can sometimes be the great discomforter in our lives when we're not walking in step with him and who God wants us to be, and we've let stuff in our house and in our lives that doesn't belong there. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. But in this passage, Jesus isn't talking about the Spirit's conviction to Christians. He's talking about the Spirit's gift of conviction to the world and to unbelievers. Jesus said, I will send him to you, and he will prove the world wrong. And to my knowledge, this is the only place in Scripture where there's something about the Holy Spirit and what he does for people who aren't believers. Because Jesus says the Holy Spirit has something to prove to the world. And here's why. People who are far from God live in darkness because the Bible says that Satan has blinded their minds. And I think that's important to, to, to recognize. It's not just that people are in darkness, which is bad enough, but it is that they can't even see that they are in darkness. They, they, they aren't even aware of it oftentimes. Here's what John writes in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. By the way, that, that word exposed is the very same word Jesus uses prove in the passage we just read in John chapter 14, exposed here in John chapter 3. Very same word Jesus uses in John chapter 14. People want to stay in darkness. That's the reality. We don't want to be convicted. Nobody likes that. It's not a good feeling. It's a good thing, but it's not a good feeling. We don't want to have light shining in areas of our lives that we know are contrary to how God desires for us to live. We don't like that. So how do you help somebody see the truth, see that they are blind (laughs) in the midst of their blindness. How do you help somebody see? Well, we could try the Lucy approach. You know, Lucy, the character from Charlie Brown, there's a comic strip where she says to uh, Linus, she says, I think I would make a pretty good evangelist. And Linus says, well, why is that? And she says, well, you know, the kid that sits behind me in class, I convinced him today that my religion is better than his religion. And Linus said, well, how'd you do that? And Lucy said, I hit him in the head with my lunchbox. I hit him with my lunchbox, in case you didn't get that. <laughs> and sadly, history is full of examples of the lunchbox approach, where people with force and power and violence have tried to convict people of faith. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works on the head and on the heart, on the mind. You think about Pentecost, the Spirit descends, and the apostles and the other disciples, they are filled with the Spirit, and people say, what in the world is going on? And Peter starts to preach. Now, here's a man who is unschooled, he is untrained, and yet 3,000 people, when his sermon is over, 3,000 people want to get baptized into Jesus. Now, question, is that because Peter is so convicting and such a great orator that people are blown away, or is it that the Holy Spirit is bringing to light that which had been in darkness? He is convicting people. 
And those people who got baptized that day, they didn't understand much about the Holy Spirit, but they knew they needed Jesus. That's what they knew. After Peter got done, after the Holy Spirit got done working, they knew they needed Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's, that's a lot of the work of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of how much we need the salvific work of Jesus. And it begins with a new definition of sin. And so the next thing Jesus says, verse 9, he's going to prove the world, the Holy Spirit's going to prove the world wrong about sin because people do not believe in me. And so the first thing is that the Holy Spirit proves that sin is unbelief. That sin is unbelief. Because nobody is going to come to Jesus as their Savior until they get convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit. And notice that Jesus does not say convicted of their sins, plural. But rather, he will convict them of their sin, of sin, because they do not believe in me. You see, there is one sin that is the root of all sin. And that is the rejection of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You see, people are not simply lost because they're sinners. I think we get this confused sometimes. We think people are lost because of their sin, right? The reality is the Bible's full of sins, sins throughout the Bible. You go to read Revelation. Revelation's got a list of sins that all the people, you know, people have committed, and those people are lost. They are going to spend eternity apart from God. But that's not really why people are lost, because every sin on that list that you read, people who are someday going to be in heaven, including you and me, hopefully, have committed those sins. Does that make sense? So every sin you read about, somebody has committed that sin and is going to be in heaven. People are not lost because they're sinners. They're lost because they have rejected their Savior. Now, continuing in sin is another part, and we'll have to talk about that for another day. But ultimately, they have rejected their Savior. And you, when you reject your Savior, you continue to live in sin. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. I told you that you will die in your sins. How will you die in your sins? If you do not believe that I am he, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of God, you will indeed die in your sins. And Satan wants to keep us in the dark about this. He wants you to think, yeah, I've made some mistakes, and I still make some mistakes. You know, when I'm not going to call them sins. I'll call them mistakes, maybe mishaps. But my sins aren't worse than anybody else, right? And one of the primary ways people are in darkness about Jesus is that they are fluent in the language of self justification. Some of you might remember the name Michael Bloomberg. He was the former mayor of New York City. Not long ago, he went to his 50th college reunion, and he noticed that many people that he went to school with had passed away at this point. And he said, it caused me to reflect on my own mortality. And someone asked him about the possibility of Judgment Day and if he was ready for it. And he reflected on all the good things he'd done. And he reflected on all the things he'd done as a mayor and throughout his life. And here's what he said. He said, I'm telling you that if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Can you hear the darkness? And we shudder at that. And yet, we're not as unfluent in that self-justification. We're not that far behind sometimes. That's the way a lot of people view things. But I would simply ask, if I'm okay and you're okay, then why did Jesus have to die? 
Here's the truth. Here's the light. You are not barely broken in need of a life coach. You are fatally flawed in need of a savior. But the devil wants to, to keep you in darkness. He wants the you and the world, he wants all of us to stay in darkness about that reality, about our need for a savior. And that's one of the reasons why he keeps the church in darkness about the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that we won't partner with the Holy Spirit in taking the light to the world. God has given us a mission to take the good news of salvation, of a savior to the world around us. And we need help to do that. We talked about that the first couple of weeks. We need help to do that. And the helper has come because the darkness of self-righteousness can only be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And when the light begins to shine, you'll also be able to see what true righteousness looks like. Jesus said he'll convict them about sin and about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. So not only does the Holy Spirit convict or prove that sin is unbelief, but the Holy Spirit also proves that only Jesus is righteous. Only Jesus is righteous. And the Holy Spirit is going to be a constant opponent of shadow righteousness because the only way that you can continue in darkness and the illusion of your own self-justification is by comparing yourself to other people. I'm not as bad as so-and-so, right? Yeah, I've made some mistakes, but I'm not as bad as the neighbor down the street. I'm not as bad as the people I work with. And have you seen some of the people I go to church with? I mean, you should see what they do. But when the Holy Spirit shines a light on Jesus, there is a whole new standard of righteousness to compare yourself to. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going up to the Father. That by his resurrection and by his ascension, God has made clear that there's a whole new definition of righteousness that you need to know about. I don't know how how many of you experienced this. I I remember back in, in high school especially when you'd have a test or you'd have a paper And the teacher would give you some grace and say, I'm grading this on a curve, right? You remember those days? And that was good unless you had that one person who like aced the test or the quiz or the paper and blew the curve for everybody else. Thanks a lot, you know. You see, you can go ahead with the sham of comparing yourself to other people and feel very righteous, But someday the Holy Spirit is going to break through and show you who Jesus is. And Jesus has blown the curve out of the water. And hopefully, you're going to finally understand that you don't just need better grades. You don't just need to improve your grades and work harder. You need Jesus' report card. And the amazing thing is that the one who is the standard of righteousness is also the source of of righteousness, righteousness. And this incredible thing happens when we come to Christ and we confess him and we identify with his death and his resurrection through baptism. He takes our unrighteousness, our sinfulness, our brokenness, and he puts that on himself and he transfers, he credits his righteousness to us. And Satan wants us to stay in the dark about this because he wants his eventual fate to be our eventual fate. And so Jesus said, not only is the Holy Spirit going to prove the world wrong about sin and about righteousness, but also about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit proves that only, or proves that sin is unbelief, proves that only Jesus is righteous, and lastly, the Holy Spirit proves that judgment is certain. It is coming. 
The Holy Spirit exposes the devil as a dethroned dictator who's been stripped of his authority. And the devil wants to keep us in the dark about the truth that he is the captain of a team that has already lost. Jesus said in John chapter 12, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Here's the incredible irony of God, the divine irony of God, that on the very day that darkness thought that it was winning, that it was condemning Jesus, God was condemning darkness through Jesus. And now the Spirit of God is wooing all people of every race, of every every race, of every tribe, of every tongue. Come to the cross. Come to this place. Not so that you can receive condemnation, but so that you will be delivered from it. So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus says one of the more sobering things that you'll hear him say, and he said a lot of sobering things, This is early on in his ministry, and he's out healing people. He's delivering people from demons. And the Holy Spirit is just powerfully, as he does throughout the ministry of Jesus, shedding light on the identity and the sufficiency and the deity of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does this through Scripture, does this through uh, the witness of the church, does this through signs and wonders. And the Holy Spirit is just putting this spotlight on Jesus and making it clear that he is not only that he is of God and he is God. And, and the people see this, and the religious leaders in particular, they say, well, it must be the devil working. All these things that he's doing, it must be the devil working. And Jesus says, do not cross that line. Because people can be forgiven of every sin, but there is no forgiveness for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he saying? Because you can repent of any sin and be forgiven. Even blasphemy. The Apostle Paul said, I was a blasphemer. But when the Holy Spirit shines the light and lifts up Christ and shows him in all his wonder and all his holiness and all his deity, and you willfully say, nope, I'll pass. No thanks. And you turn your back, you have turned your back on the only provision that God has made for your salvation. And you have rejected the beautiful gift of conviction from the Holy Spirit. And this is why the Holy Spirit will not leave you alone. Now you can push him down, you can push him away, but he will not leave you alone because the Holy Spirit is God and God loves the world. He loves you way too much to leave you alone. John chapter three, a verse passage that we all know probably quite well. Verse 16 especially, but I'm gonna read through verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's beautiful, but there's more. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of of God's one and only Son. And my prayer and my hope is that today you will walk away from here, if nothing else, but immensely more aware and grateful for the awesome gift of conviction by the Holy Spirit, and that you will be encouraged and convicted to take advantage of this incredible light. And when you become convicted, when you become convicted, about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to be convicted to speak to the lost about God. You are going to be convicted to speak to the lost about God. It's interesting that when you read 
you go and study books and, and teachings on the Holy Spirit, so much of what you're going to find is, is, is what, you know, the Holy Spirit talking about what, what, what can the Holy Spirit do for me? What, what, what does the Holy Spirit do for me personally? And a lot of teachings tend to, to center on that. And I'm not saying there aren't some incredible things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us uh, or, or to us. But here's what Jesus said. I will send him to you and he will prove to the world. In other words, God is sending the Holy Spirit to us so that he can bless the world through us. Because anytime God gives you a blessing, a gift, he doesn't want it to end with you. He wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. Jesus has sent us into all the world with the good news of salvation. And he knew that we would need a helper. And so he has sent us a helper. And listen, your job is not to convict, right? That is not your job, nor my job. It's not our job to convict anybody. Because guess what? You are not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You're not anybody's Holy Spirit. It is your job to be a channel for the Holy Spirit to flow and to work. And while you can't convict anybody, you can't open anybody's heart, when you trust in the work of the Holy Spirit, you will open your mouth. You will open your mouth and give him the opportunity to open people's hearts. And you will be convicted to speak to the lost about God. Then the other thing you will be convicted to do is to speak to God about the lost. Because once you realize and understand that hearts and minds have been blinded to the truth, then you realize that the most powerful thing you can do is to get on your knees and beg God and his spirit to work powerfully and to shine the light in the hearts of those who are lost. Now, I don't want to be insensitive in saying this, because I believe that God has the power to heal, and I believe that we should absolutely pray for those who are sick. I believe that 100%. But I can't help but wonder, and I hope you hear me say this, I cannot help but wonder, why do we pray more to keep saved people out of heaven than we do to keep lost people out of hell? Our prayer list is littered with people who are sick and hurting, and that's great. But why do we pray more to keep saved people out of heaven than we do to keep lost people out of hell? There's someone you love, husband, wife, mom, dad, daughter, son, brother, sister, friend, coworker, classmate, I, could be any, all of the, of the above, and they're not close to God. We will lift them up. If they are sick, if they're having heart surgery, if they're having, you know, uh, an appendix taken out, and I don't mean to make light of those things, but we will lift those things up. When's the last time we went to the Father for their spiritual destination, for their relationship with Jesus? And maybe you can't penetrate the darkness, but the Holy Spirit can. And so ask for God, for his spirit to move and work in their life. I don't know how many of you know the name George Mueller. Some of you may know that, uh, that name. He was a Christian evangelist and theologian in the 1800s. And when he was a young man, he had five friends, five really good friends that did not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And George Mueller made a promise to himself and to God that every single day, every single day, 
by name, he was going to lift up those friends, pray for their souls. And he did. One came to Christ after 10 years, or excuse me, after five years. Two more came to Christ after 10 years. The fourth friend came to Christ after 35 years. And the fifth friend came to Christ just weeks after George Mueller died. Having prayed for that friend every day for 52 years. Here's what I know about you. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have given your life to him, and you have been baptized into him, it is not because you are so smart. And the same goes for me. You know why? It is because somebody prayed for you. And somebody shared the message of Jesus with you. And the Holy Spirit opened your heart and convicted your heart of truth. And it just seems to me that you and I ought to be doing the same for somebody else. So that the Holy Spirit can open their heart and convict their heart to the truth as well.